Scene 5. I shot a man named Reno. T.C. Tahoe. Read by Jason Wethington. Followed by original audio recording. We're off to see a wizard, I thought to myself, climbing into the passenger seat of Josh's silver sedan. One last check to make sure nothing was forgotten. Josh started the car, and we were off. We headed west toward the town of Kissimmee. Our destination, Wizard's Magical Theater, a 50-seat cabaret magic show located inside a vacation resort. The brainchild of Eric and Kim Olson, Wizards has been entertaining audiences weekly since 2010. Every Monday evening, it plays host to some of the most eccentric acts from around the world. Our attendance was prompted by a man who had twice won the Academy of Magical Arts Magician of the Year Award and would be performing that night. A short 20-minute drive had us at the theater. We parked the car and walked the short distance to the box office. The door opened with a warm, jovial, Hey there! T.C. Tahoe, the wizard we came to see, greeted us with a smile. Silhouette stuff, like Popeye, Superman, Mickey Mouse, all walking out of it because it was a character building. <laughs> so, glad I could help you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, so, we're interviewing, this is an interview with T.C. Tahoe. Yes, the, the, the one, the infamous. only. Infamous. Infamous, yeah. Uh, so we always start off with uh, kind of just how, how you got your start in performing. I got my start in I'm going to line my phone up here. <laughs> just, uh, just so that can... I got my start in performing. Uh, I started magic. Uh, I spent about half of my childhood in the hospital. And I would be in uh, the Deaconess Hospital in Great Falls, Montana. Uh, I had severe asthma and eczema when I was born. Baby in a bubble for a couple of years. Then I would be in for a month and out for a month, in for three months, out for a couple of months. So uh, I used to read a lot, and my dad brought me a book on how to, how to do card tricks. And I think at the time I thought, oh, this is really cool. Looking back, I realized it was a way for him not to bring me a new book every week. I was like, occupy your time. Um, so I started, you know, learning card tricks, and it's it's funny. I started learning card tricks. At, my grandmother came in. Sorry, my great grandmother. Everybody called her Grandma Jenny, but she came in a couple weeks later and saw me playing with the cards and said, "Oh, if you like these, if you like those cards, you'll like these." And she brought out a deck of tarot cards. Oh, right. So I was ten, and I started learning card tricks and tarot readings. So my dad would show up and do card tricks. My grandma would show up and do tarot readings. And never done anything else. I uh, I got out of high school. Well, I started doing walk around in a bar when I was sixteen or seventeen. Um, got hired uh, to do a show at a convention, the Western Regional Convention, the IBM in Calgary. And I put together this. I entered the culture close-up in comedy competitions. That's what it was. It wasn't hired for this one. Uh, and I put together like a five-minute spoof on how cool magicians think they are. And it was, that was Mr. Tahoe. It was Mr. Tahoe. 
I just wanted a cool name. <laughs> and I would produce a couple of doves, and when I put them in the cage on the... What do we say? Perch. They would just fall off because they were dead. <laughs> but I was, I was too cool to notice that. So I'm just going to... Uh, you know, and it was just ridiculously stupid. As I was leaving the hotel the next day, the manager said, would you want to come up and uh, do your act at the hotel anytime? Because I just, I lived over the border. I lived in Montana. This was in Calgary. And I said, oh, I'd be love to. Thinking he saw my close-up. And he says, that was so funny. When you produce those dead birds, I went, what? Oh, okay. You want that? Okay. So he goes, if you, do you have a, like a half an hour of that? I went, yes. Yes, I do. And I went back and put together this show and decided if I'm going to do a half an hour, I need a first name for Mr. Tahoe. Uh, there was a guy in high school that was an ass, but he was saying, hey, 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 you know, one of these guys. Right. And we called him TC behind his back for too cool. Uh, and I went, oh, that's, that's his first, that's T, that's Mr. Tahoe's first name right there. <laughs> so, um, I built that half an hour act. And wow. when I started working comedy clubs, uh, they said, can we just, I went by my real name, Christian Lund. And I would close the last part of my show by introducing the introduction was, uh, to close my portion of the show, I'd like to introduce to you a man who by his own admission, is the best magician in the world, T.C. Tahoe. And the lights would go out, and I had a jacket that I could turn inside out that had glitter and stuff on the sleeves, and I put sunglasses on, closed with that. And the clubs were like, oh, we like the name. Can we just, can we, next time you're here, can we build just T.C. Tahoe? I went, sure, I don't care. Right. So I've never changed my name. It was just really a joke that got out of hand. <laughs> it was, you know, but it's great. It was, it was funny in building the T.C. Tahoe character, because uh, it was only ever silent act. Because when I tried to talk in that TC voice, that too cool, I'm just a dick. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> right. yeah, hey, you know, it, it is what I'm making fun of then. And there's no real way to get around that. It, it took a lot of, um, I have, I was going to say I have a background in theater. You know, I mean, I studied theater in high school. I did summer stock and had some great, uh, theatrical mentors and it was a couple of years of process of really getting comfortable speaking as PC mm -hmm. uh, but it was it was really difficult in the beginning because I'm like hey, you know everything should be hey, 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 and it, it can't be you know it's um, it's like when I first saw Jonathan Pendragon he comes out on stage to the dramatic music and he is such a presence and then when he starts talking, nobody can live up to that. You know, right, nobody, right. it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You see him as Conan, and then it's like, it's like no, just some acts shouldn't talk. And for a long time, I was like, that's TC. TC shouldn't talk. That that character is, and but it got to be where I could. The way I developed it was that I was just stupid when I spoke, and when the music happened, then that was cool. And I was, I, I remember, could never do this bit, never in a million years now, but it was at the Comedy Works in Denver, and I was doing an open mic night, and 
had a partner, Kelly Jennings, and he sat in the middle of the audience and as a spectator, as a spectator, as an audience member. Right. And they introduced me and they said, this is the guy's first time here. He's a magician. He's not a comedian. So let's just cut him a little slack. That was my introduction right. to TC. I come up on stage and, you know, I'm shaking a bit. I go, hey, thanks. Thanks for letting me do this. And my buddy hollers out, do something. I went, Okay, well, you know, just wanted to introduce myself. I, you know, talking to you. I'm a little bit nervous. This is my first time in a comedy club. He hollers something else. I go, okay, I understand that heckling can be a thing. I, this is my first time. I don't know how to deal with somebody screaming at me. And he hollers again. I go, please. All right. I don't know how to handle people hollering at me. And he hollers something else. And I bring out a gun and I shoot him and he falls over on the table. <laughs> and everybody around us goes, and I go, okay, I've got three different lengths of rope. And I sit the professor's nightmare and walked off. He laid there the whole time. That's so genius. And we, could you do that now? No. No. <laughs> but, you know, the audience started to catch on going, oh, okay. That's but it was, I loved it. Nobody else. Nobody else, right? Okay. Right. That's all. Awesome. three different lengths of rope. Awesome. Uh, yeah, character, I, the first character building, I... I I learned a theatrical way to do it, and that's really to kind of make a list of what you want the character to be, sure. and to, I guess, meditate on it. You, you know, I would lay down, you know, and go and you know just concentrate on the character and breathe it in. And music has been a big influence. I mean, I'd listen to songs, go, that's the feat. that whatever that song's doing to me, that's how I want. Right. You know, so it's. Do you play music as well? I don't. You don't. You just... I am tone tone deaf. I mean, but music is a big part of my life. You know, it's the first thing I do when I get up in the morning is, you know, turn music on. I love all kinds of music. Um, I listen to everything, you know, I mean, everything from Paul Williams to Metallica. You know, it's just... It's... I don't know how people can't listen. Right. You know, people, some people go, oh, I really don't listen to music. Well, then you're not alive. Yeah. <laughs> how is the evolution of that character? Because I mean, it, is the TC character now the the still the, the too cool TC? It, or it is. Uh, it, it's funny. It, 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 I never uh, explained the name in the beginning. You know, it was just TC, and people would say, "Oh, what does TC stand for?" I go, "Tiny Conscience." <laughs> <laughs> It just because I thought it was funny and it never told anybody. And then I developed the Purple Rain Ring routine, which I kind of got known for in L.A., which was a serious routine originally. It was a pretty two-ring, linking ring routine that I did with a partner. Um, we did it simultaneously to uh, Dan Fogelberg, a song called Netherlands. It's just a pretty song. Through the whole show, um, we had two rings hanging separately, two sets of those hanging separately in view the whole time behind us. So the lights would fade down, they'd fade back up, and we were holding the rings. We'd do this routine, lights would fade down, and they'd come back up, and we're gone, and the, ring, the linked rings are now hanging. It was really pretty. Nice. Didn't suit me at all, but it was a pretty routine, and it's the close to a show we were doing. And I was doing that on my own, and it is a pretty routine. Like somebody, you know, Jonathan Neal Brown has a beautiful two-ring routine. Uh, I was in the parlor room at Magic Island, which I can't remember what it was called. Maybe Ramsey's, Cleo, Cleopatra's Chambers, maybe. Um, and this is back in the day, 
you're using cassettes for your music, right? right? On, yeah, yeah. Cassette broke. For you know, they, they went, okay, put something else in. And I grab and put in, and it was Prince's Purple Rain soundtrack, right. and it was queued up for Purple Rain. I went, okay, it made the rain. It made I did the exact same choreography, but just a little bit bigger, where the you know the arms swung out like this. Now they swung out, and right. people were laughing, and I was like, that's it. So <laughs> that over the next couple of weeks, I came up with the introduction. Um, so I'm going to close the show with a classic in magic, uh, the ancient Chinese linking. Uh, in case you've seen this before, and this is a magic club, so people don't really have. I go, I don't do the classic version. No, I do the uh, cool version. And I go, oh, here, and I put sunglasses on and a scarf. And I go, I don't do the cool version. I do the too cool. Yeah, TC, too cool. And people go, uh-huh. I go, okay, I'd like to buy a vowel. And then I bring the rings out, and then here they are, the two cool linking rings. And there'd be a loud... On the soundtrack, there's a loud cheering crowd. Like, Thank you. Right. And then I just go into that. So that was when I first started explaining on stage what Too Cool was. But I, it's funny. I, you know, there's so, there's so many different processes and ways to get to a character. At the end of the day, for me, it's really going up and trying. Going, this clicks, this doesn't. Uh, just recently here at Wizards. We are here at Wizards. Um, I my show has always been boom, boom, boom. The comedy is just you know. I did a show here, and I wanted to do close-up magic, and my close-up is a bit slower. Right. And I was really worried. I I worry about every show I do. You know, every show I get nervous. Uh, every show, and not you know. Right. Shaking hands when I go, oh, have I got this? Have I do this? Every single, before every show, I write out my, my set list. Wow. I write it out. Um, I thought it was just me, but then I read, you know, a couple of years ago that physically writing things makes you remember them better. Yeah, better than, more so than typing, more so than reading. If you physically write it, but there's some kind of connection. Yeah. So I still, to this day, write out my whole set list. Right. And I put it in my case. I rarely, if I <laughs> look at it, right. but I know it's there. But I was worried about, can I do the overtly silly and strong comedy, then sit down at a table and go and do this other stuff? And I found that I could. So I'm 52 and I've realized I don't have to just go like this the whole time. In fact, uh, it one of the best shows I've ever done in my life. And that's, that's what I'm working on now is doing a whole evening show where, yeah, I, I should have realized a million years ago... There should be peaks and valleys, like everything. You know, I mean, you look at music, it, you know, who wants to go listen to a band that's just boom, boom, boom all the time? They're a slow set. They're slow songs. And that's, I think, I think that can only benefit. If you're doing, that's the difference between doing a show and an act. I mean, if you're doing a 15-minute act, that's one thing. Right. But, you know, I was doing an hour here and I did the same thing at another club where it was a 90-minute show. And you need variant. Yeah. And, but... As far as building character, it's just once you, for me again, once I understand a little bit of what I am, it's taking a trick and trying it on stage. I mean, I'll rehear- obviously rehearse the mechanics of it. I write some lines. I don't write a whole script always. Rarely write a whole script. I write a little outline of how I want it presented, and then I go up and do it. 
because if you listen to the audience and pay attention to them, you can see where they think it's going and you can build on that to make the routine stronger, you know, and then that. And so, so you pull from, you're listening to your audience, Absolutely. your audience to plug in and fill out. Yeah. Right. You know, there, there's some of my best lines I, I've gotten because I, I can hear them go, oh, it's going to be over there. I go, oh, they think something's going to happen here. I'm going to play that up. So that right now, here's a question. Has anything, because it's happened to me, it's happened to all of us, where something goes wrong, right? <laughs> and you're like, holy shit, that's the funniest thing. Why, how do I put this in? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, oh, I've got to give you an example, right? Yes. <laughs> well, you, to, but you can just say yes and leave it. <laughs> you know? My buddy that I shot, Kelly Jennings, at the comedy club, um, we, uh, he was a close, strictly close-up guy. Technically beautiful close-up. Uh, but was never really comfortable. So I said, well, do what I do. We'll get you a character. So we were working in Denver as the Vegas Brothers. I was T.C. Tahoe, he was Reno Maserati. <laughs> and we had hired a woman to work, to be an assistant for a couple of routines. And three days before uh, working that, oh, I can't remember the club then. Uh, three days before, she said, I can't do it. It's like, that just sounded like it was no big deal to you. We, uh-huh. <laughs> so we're, you know, okay, I say we. I'm freaking out. And he's going, well, there's something else. I'm going, yeah, but what? <laughs> And then I said, you know, on the way to the club, on the way to the comedy club, we pass that sex store. What if we get a blow-up doll? So we ended up, this was, it must have been 85, no, 84. Um, I'm going to retract that and say 82, 83, 83. It was was spring of 83. I, uh, we got this blow-up doll and laid it flat on the stage and hooked up two bike pumps to it. So we each had a foot pump. <laughs> just a foot pump. And we said, we'd like to, you know, magically produce a beautiful assistant. And so we hold it with cloths and we're just going like this. That took a lot longer. The jokes are going And we had all this stuff planned. And, you know, literally, you know, four minutes we're going, she's only half blown up. And, and Kelly and Kelly's still pumping. I pull the cloth away. There she is. There she is. She's not one of the leggiest dancers in Vegas. But um, we kept that in. You know, That's a mistake. Uh, there are. I see. Yes, there really are. And, and I I enjoy mistakes on stage because right. you don't know where they're going. Right. You know, and it's it's. I love improv. Right. And. Which is why I don't write a whole script for each trick, um, because I know me. I am so easily distracted that I, I listen to the audience. I pay attention to what they're doing and react to them. You know, to me, it's 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 a conversation. I, while it might be one sided, I do encourage people to talk so that I can shut them down, but I want them to feel a part of this. Right. There are so many performers that can go out on stage in front of two people or 200, and it's the exact same energy and patter and every, I, were, I won't give his name, but there was a guy at the castle who's a professional magician. He's a full-time professional magician. Work in the parlor, there's only two rows of us. It was a slow night, 
So there's two rows, and there, I think there are ten rows in the parlor. And he comes out, and he's doing a trick, and, he, and he, at one point he goes, I know what you're thinking in the back. You're thinking, and everybody just went, well, we just all turned around and went, is there somebody? What? In the back? He is just so into it and memorized. He's not aware. It's like, you know, out of the ships, I was working the comedy club, and some nights we'd get 20 people. And after that happened once, I brought my close-up set with me. And when we get 20 people, I'd say, let's do something different. And I'd pull a table out and do a close-up set for half an hour. They loved it because they knew oh, we're getting something that nobody else gets. So even if you don't really change your show, make it seem like you are because that audience, you know, they want to be entertained and they want to see something special. And if you, it's about making a connection. Do you think it's hard sometimes, uh, especially if you're a character and your character act, to make that transition mm -hmm. to... The character works great on stage for 200 people, 100 people, but as soon as you get down to like 20 or 10, you're like... Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, for me, yes. For me, you've got to... You have to bring it down. I can't imagine going... I can't imagine being Bono and walking out on stage and instead of 2,000 people, there's 40 people there. I'm pretty sure they're going to, you know, bring out acoustics and do something different. And you have to do that too, I think. You know, it's Absolutely. it's not the same energy. It's it's I think it's ridiculous to try and do it, like you said though, I mean if you're if you're an act I guess do you know what I mean when I say an act, you know, as like a seven minute act, a five minute act as opposed to a show. You know, you there's not a lot you can do. It's choreographed, it's but still I think you can connect and let them know let's try something a little bit. You know? Look, looking back to where you are today, what advice would you give a younger version of you in the sense of performing? Get a real job? <laughs> and Seriously, would you no, say that? No, I would not. <laughs> no, no. I'm always curious because there's some performers that that is their approach. They're like, you know, really, you should get a real job. No. No. Okay. But I, I have never, the closest I've ever come to having a real job is uh, I, I worked at Hollywood Magic. Okay. For a Halloween season, and then I opened my own magic shop for two years, and it was horrible. <laughs> Every day, go I no 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 I it's not for me. <coughs> Just like there are guys that are amateur magicians, and I say amateur with all due respect. Amateurs, you know, it comes from doing it for the love of. Right. You know, you do it because you love it. Not you know, I do it because I don't know any other way to make a living. Right. At this point. Um, but there are some guys that, that are wonderful magicians that can't fathom leaving their job and their security yeah. to, um, to try this. Yeah. And it's not easy. Yeah, it's not for everybody. No, it is not for everybody. If you want security, if you want it, you know, you want to know, I would recommend to my old self, which I don't have to because I didn't do it, is not start a family and try and be a professional entertainer. Right. You know, you, you don't want responsibility. You can't have it. I, I married my wife, who has always had a job. Since she was 16, she has worked. And we met in May. We got married in August. So we didn't know a lot about each other. Um, of that same Probably period. why you've been together so long. <laughs> it's only 25 years. Um, but the first month we were married, I remember her saying to me, so just what exactly do you mean you don't have any money coming this month? Right. Like, I don't have a gig. 
<laughs> I got fourteen thousand dollars coming in next month. And she's going, oh, but let's focus on this month. She's like, no. <laughs> no, sorry. That's the way because it, it always is like that. You know, it's. Yeah. I was talking to my uncle today. He was asking how business is, and I said, "This month is slow. I've got um, seven shows in the first week in November. It's like it's either too much or not enough, and you just have to adapt to the. I, I am lucky that money has been never been a big driving force for me. I just like to do what I like to do, and if, you know, if I if I have money, I'm not good with it." You know, my wife has saved everything. I, I loosened her up, and she has taught me a little bit more respect for money. And, <laughs> and maybe we should hold on. So when you have a month where you don't have anything coming in, then you don't have to worry. Well. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So, yeah, that's, I would say just, you know, to anyone just starting out or my younger self, yeah, just relax and do what makes you happy. Right. And I would say that to anybody, whether you're doing magic or not. That's life. You know, just why, why worry about stuff? My grandfather, at the time, I thought he was just being a grumpy old man and just didn't feel like talking to me. I was probably 15, and I can't remember the specific problem that came up, and I was telling him about it. And his, his response and his response many, many times before and after that was, it either will or it won't. What, you know, what, what are you doing? Why are you wasting your time? You know, right. not a, it's either not, it's either going to work or it's not going to work. Those are your options. <laughs> At the time, I was like, what an ass. Why just give me some? And then years later, I'm like, well, he's right. He's totally right. I can worry about it, but it's going to do it or it's not. You know, I can only be prepared either way. I can prepare for the success of it or prepare for the, you know, not success. I'm not good with words. <laughs> just saying that out loud. I'm like, you ever hear that old Steve Martin bit? Some people have a way with words, and some people <laughs> not have way, I guess. <laughs> so I'm rambling on, and you've asked one question. So no, it's, it's, it's I, I had to shut my notebook because <laughs> you literally, where we just kind of, you just started talking, and you started answering the questions we had in your, your monologue there. So it, <laughs> it, it, monologue. it worked out in the long run. <laughs> like, That's the advice I would give. It'll work out in the long yeah. run. Or it won't. Or it won't. <laughs> and get a strong monologue. I think, I think, that's, I think that's what we'll do. It'll say, TC Tahoe, it will, or it won't. Or it won't. <laughs> uh, I, do, I do think the old adage is true. Maybe it's not an old adage. I think it's true, though, that whatever your character on stage, no matter how strong it is, it's a part of you. I was just going to ask. You know, I, I think it's not... I think there are very few acts that sit down and write a character like from a book or a play and become that character and they're not a part of them off stage, you know? Right. I took my silliness onto stage and exaggerated the parts that people seem to like. Right. I'm getting older, I like to exaggerate the things that people don't like. <laughs> I like to insult people, and people, which is getting harder in this day and age. You know, which is just ridiculous. Again, when we should be lightening up, when we shouldn't be taking everything so seriously, we're taking things more and more seriously. All the time. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Uh, one of our other interviews, uh, Tina Leonard. Uh, or Leonard. Leonard. Yeah, I go with Leonard. Leonard sounds like Leonard. It sounds close like to a nerd. Yeah, yeah Tina, she's so not great. moving forward at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not really interacting yeah. with any of the other she's, molecules she's just around. Sits there. <laughs> she just sits there next to a heart. Ah, terrible. <laughs> all right. 
Sorry, we'll cut all of this part out. <laughs> Sorry, Tina. Um, <laughs> I love you. She talked about facets of your personality and how, and you're saying the same thing Absolutely. just from a different perspective of saying that this is still part of your personality. And even developing my character, I can associate with that. You're bringing something to it. You yeah. found it inside of yourself. And I mean, I think when, you know, when I first met you and you were English, yeah. <laughs> I think, though, that that was the English part was a character that you plugged your personality into, into yeah. and it obviously evolved and changed a little bit, but you were still who you are. Yeah. You have the same sense of humor off stage as you do on, you know, and I think for me, your stronger characters are that, right. you know, I would, if you would asked me 15 years ago, I would have probably said, no, Jeff McBride, that's a character. That's not him. Now we know it is him. <laughs> he has the mystery school. He is that. So. I think it's just reinforced. That's you know, over time is reinforced. Yeah, that's who these people are right. on stage. Yeah, absolutely, we've seen it. Yeah, multiple times. Phil Coldstein becoming Max Maven. I mean, yes, stepping. Uh, Tommy Wonder wasn't his real. He's yeah. stepping into that role. And but off stage, I'm sure you've heard wonderful stories about him. And he, he was a goofball off stage. Yeah, totally. You know, you heard who was who told the story about him at a magic shop? Did you hear that? No. He went into a magic shop. Um, it might have been Wayne Dobson. Uh, Wayne Dobson's in the magic shop, and Tommy Cooper walks in, and he's, what's his idol? Right. And he goes, hi, it's a pleasure to meet you. He goes, oh, pleasure to meet you. My wife is at the beauty parlor. She's going to come down here. Um, when she comes in here, don't swear. And Wayne Dobson's like, what? I wasn't planning on it, but okay. Okay, good, good. And they talk a bit. Did I tell you my wife's going to be here? Don't swear when she gets here. She doesn't like that. And everybody's like, yeah, okay. And he repeats this like, you know, five times and his wife walks in and goes, where the fuck have you been? <laughs> so he just, you know, he was that, he, you know, and I, I was never, was never, still am not on all the time. Right. I, I can't do it. I mean, it's. When do you become your character? When you're. Honestly, there is a moment. Yeah. Uh, there's a moment backstage when I am worrying did I put this in the right place? Did I do this? And then I hear either my music start or the MC start to my introduction. So I go, but that moment really doesn't happen until I break stage. Right until I break the curtain. I mean, you know, it's, and backstage I'm going, no, this, I, you know, Robert Bax, he's on all the time. He's Robert all the time. Hey, 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 hey. I can't, I just can't do it. Sometimes I envy that. Sometimes, Eric, Eric is wonderful. Eric can do a trick at the drop of a hand. He'll do anything. Hey, hey, hey. And I'm like, just, Leave me alone. Yeah, I got to ramp up to this. <laughs> I um, I remember working uh, some comedy clubs on a one-nighters for David Tribble, going through Northern California all the way around to Montana, Idaho. Three times it happened on that one tour. I would go into the club in the afternoon and say, I'm your headliner tonight. I just wanted to come in and let you know I'm here and uh, introduce myself. And they go, well, let's grab some lunch. Three times this happened. And we'd have lunch, and my wife, and then I would do my show, and afterwards the owner would come up going, you are so funny. When we had lunch, I thought this show was going to suck. <laughs> and I was like, what? Well, I was just having lunch. <laughs> no, but they expected me to be. Yeah. Such, no, show guy. Right. not. Why would I tell you jokes over a hamburger? <laughs> so, but and I'm not that guy. And, that's, and God bless people who are. I mean, you know, Eric gets upgrades and on uh, airports. He, you know, he gets 
better seats at restaurants because, you know, he's out there going, hey, you know, and I just want to, I live my life. There's a line in the Jimmy Buffett song uh, called The Why Know and I Know. Okay, yeah, yeah. There's a line in that that says, I'm just trying to get by being quiet and shy in a world full of pushing and shoving. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's just, I like to fade in the background. If, if I'm not on stage, I'm not on stage. Right. If you see me off stage and I'm acting, that's because I'm uncomfortable. Right. On. You know? Right. There were a couple times at the convention here that I was like, hey, hey, hey it's because I don't know you guys and I don't want to talk to you, yeah. so let's be the character. Yeah, put on the, put on the face, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, do you find... Uh, Question, the question just left right out of my brain there. Um, if I gold, no. Do you do you mine for gold? I, I, I used to. Have you have you ever mined for gold? No. So you've never done anything but performing and um, never. How do you approach? Well, let me ask you this. So you do tarot card reading? Yes. Right. Okay. The yes, okay. Is yeah. the tarot card reading also a bit of a character, or are you connecting with them because? I mean, how do you no, approach, how do you I, approach tarot card reading? Tarot card reading, yeah. I shouldn't say I don't do anything else. I I do tarot card, and for years, when I moved to LA, sorry, when I went to Southern California, I was down in uh, Newport Beach, beginning with work at Magic Island, and I always I took my cards with me. Like I said, I learned magic and readings at the same time. I started doing. I met a lot of people online. I found a lot of shops like the Psychic Eye and all the shops and. I started doing readings in these places during the day when I'd use my real name. And I was terrified they're gonna find out I'm a magician. I don't I don't do I don't do tricks when I'm doing readings. Uh, and people sometimes, you know, especially magicians, do you believe in all this? I'm like, well, what's there to believe in? The cards have meetings. They have meetings to me. All I'm doing is telling people what they mean. It's up to the, you know, my clients to say, you know, I, if clients give me a lot of information, I'll say, well, it feels to me that this card means this at this time. Right. Do I believe that there's some mystical connection? Probably not, but the responses I get from the readings are wholly accurate, and I have many return clients. So they're getting something from it, and I am being honest with them. But like I said, for years, I kept it separate. Right on. And I saw it. They, either side won't accept it. And I, I was given a reading, and the guy said, do you do comedy? And I went, yeah. Oh, we saw your show at the Long Beach Comedy Club. I said, yeah, that's that's my night job. This is my day job. Day job. And he went, oh, you were so funny. You know, and they didn't care. When I opened the magic shop, uh, it was called Mind Over Magic, and I said to my wife, I don't want to open a shop that sells gags and costumes. And Leslie said, oh, you mean the part that makes the money? <laughs> yes. yes I, don't, I want a magic shop if we're going to do this. She goes, well, what are, what are the other options? I said, I'd like to sell tarot cards. I'd like to sell incense, pendulums, that stuff. So when you walked into our store, if you went right, it was theatrical magic. If you went left, it was magic, magic. with a K. Right. Um, and I thought, oh, I don't know if it's going to work. You know, I mean, magicians probably won't have a problem with it. Right. But, you know, we ended up getting quite a few Wiccans and people coming in and they'd look at that, the magic side and go, oh, that's cute. And then they just, go, they just, go, they just go left. Right. And they didn't have a problem with it at all. I got a couple of great compliments. Um, 
Mac, uh, Max Maven, Eugene Berger came in and said, this is the best magic shop in the world because you have right. magic and real magic. And Richard Webster, who's a great magician and mentalist, also as one of the biggest selling authors of, you know, palm reading and tarot card reading and all that for Llewellyn. And he said, this is the only shop in the world that carries both sides or, you know, all of my books. Right. So, you know, that's, and that's how I met him. We became great that's friends. Great. And it's, so that it is acceptable. And I, right. when I was down in Ecuador, I was only doing readings. And then when people found out, you know, I did, I started doing a couple of shows. Nobody cared. Right. Because I, I do, you know, let people know I, there's none of the stage stuff going on here. Right. Right. And, and that's really just a self-imposed thing. Sure. I, you know, my grandmother taught me, you are freezing, aren't you? Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> he didn't wear pants. No, no I mean, he's, uh, I'm not wearing He has pants on. He has. Yeah, I'm usually the one that gets cold. I know. We're, we're, we're literally in a conference room, and it's it's like a mortuary in here. It's freezing. Yeah. It's a morgue. You want to move over to the sunlight? No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> so, um, but people will accept different sides of your personality. Right. And it's kind of interesting to me because. I walk in the middle of those two worlds as well now, and magic has kind of the same underlying it. Uh, there's a believability in a sense, right? So it's it's always fascinating to me that magicians tend to look at the other one and go, "Why would you ever believe in that?" But we're expecting our audiences to somehow buy into yeah, it. Yeah, there's a you know. I know. Uh, I just want to go, and you believe in <laughs> you believe in Christ, right? So yeah, let's. Yeah, oh yeah, is that going to make it into the interview? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, what happens is in the book. I mean, we're still recording, but what happens in the book is what we'll do is we'll take uh, like basically your, as I say, your long monologue that you gave us, which I great. I liked. It. it was great. Um, we'll put that in the book, and then you know, uh, because we didn't really ask you too many questions on it, so that'll be in the book. And then we have the audio, which we're going to release. Uh, so if you're listening to this, this isn't in the book. Um, yeah, so we're going to release audio saying there's more in the audio. You get to be part of the conversation. If were, if, 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 I don't know what kind of uh, photographs you were going to have in the book, but I think it would be cool if you hired like a courtroom artist to do them. I think that would be funny. I didn't think about that. would be strange. Yeah. I think that would be hysterical. <laughs> writing that down. I'm writing it down. You guys can't take it. You can't take it. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. Courtroom. Um, now everybody's going to be like, where are these courtroom photographs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got jipped. Now on the stage. That'll be in the next version of the book. Yes. Right. Right. Whatever the, the introductions to the chapter. Uh, we call it the Antina Leonard. Right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's, it's been kind of interesting. The, and each conversation has been different. Because, again, it's like we're not trying to say that there's one method of building a character because there's not. Except... For like what you said, get out there and just do it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like acting. There's not really one method. You know, there are guys that are method actors. And it's have to approach it from so many different, yeah. different places. And especially with magic. Cause, and we've talked to other people in theater where, uh, and maybe you'll agree with this, uh, that magic is really a, a difficult uh, form of performance art. It's not like acting. There's so much more that you're aware of. There's so much going on, and it's when, when, generally speaking, when you know those of us that do magic, we have to be everything in the theater. 
we're the, you know, which is the downfall of a lot of acts. We're our own directors. We're our own states. You know, we're our, we do our own blocking and everything. And it's it's not always best to do that. It's best to bring somebody in that can see it from a different you know perspective. But we are, you know, I mean, we're our own agents. We're our own. That's to say, I don't have an agent. If there's an agent, listen to the. <laughs> there's audience. an agent reading the book. TC Tahoe. But my my, my <laughs> character's gone from the too cool thing to. Because, because I've gotten older, I'm not sure when that happened. Um, I realized I come across to. I used to wear loud clothes, you know, outrageous clothes. I used to when I first started working the castle. I wore silver high top tennis shoes and a spur, one spur, just one. Never made any mention of why. But, you know, it was crazy stuff. I'd walk on and people go, oh, this guy's crazy. Let's watch this. Right. And I, at some point in the past, you know, five or six years, I realized it just looks like an old man trying too hard. Right. So, and as it turns out, and this is a development in the character, it turns out if I walk out on stage in a suit and tie or nice clothes, their first reaction is, okay, it's, it's an old guy. It's going to do. And then I start acting like an idiot like I would anyway. People are like, oh, well, what happened here? Right. It's, it's, it's made the humor and the outrageousness much funny, funnier because they're not expecting it. Understated. You know, I walk out. Sadly, I've had a few people this last year um, say, oh, you look like Jerry Springer. <laughs> and I'm always like, thanks. He's 20 years older than I am, but thank right. you. Thank you. So I do, I come out and I say, hey, everybody, uh, also the people in the back, not Jerry Springer. <laughs> so right away they're going, okay. And I, and so that's why I came up with uh, the man-child of magic you know, years, a few years right. ago now because right. I think it explains it. Sure, sure, sure. So that's great. So it's still constant, still evolving. Still evolving. It has to evolve, right? I mean, don't we have to evolve? Thanks. Although I just went to a con magic convention and apparently some of us don't have to evolve at all. At all. <laughs> and been repeating the same. It's like we used to say uh, magicians who've been in magic for 20 years, but they've repeated the same year over. It is kind of interesting, and I think that's the difference between somebody who's a professional and really passionate about getting out there and working and wanting to try new things and wanting uh, to be out there. That yeah. You're always like, tinkering. And One of the reasons, like Joshua J, is he is his passion for magic obviously is there and it comes through I mean that it's right. if it's just a job then why do it right exactly it's, if you're not having fun if it's not that's why I've, I've kind of backed off the cruise ships because you know what they're not fun anymore right it's just it became a grind and you know I started working on carnival because they were easy they were easy to work for right um, when I first started you know I'd worked on Seaborn and Cunard and these upper did you have to shift your personality to fit into the the ships, or yeah, yeah, oh, they're they're because the, it's a different kind of yeah, and it's I actually on on Seaboard, the cruise director after my first show said, "Can you not talk to the audience?" I said, "I'm sorry, what?" <laughs> said, he said, "Don't talk to." I went, "I don't know what that means." He goes, "Well, you know, don't talk to them individually, just as a group, but don't you know say hey, what's your name?" And it's like, <laughs> "What?" <laughs> And it's just, they're, they're so scared of the audience member going, oh, I don't like, you know, they're so uptight. Right I 
did not enjoy shifts. That's why I quit doing them. And then when Carnival called me to fill in for somebody, I said, well, what are the rules? And the guy booking at the time said, what do you mean? I said, well, what can I, he goes, you know what, here, here's what I'll tell you. Do whatever you want until somebody tells you not to. And I was like, this is a company I can work for. <laughs> and I called him like two months into the gig, working every you know week. I said, for my you know midnight show, I wanted to do something a little different. I was going to do some mentalism. And, and I described it to him like for five minutes. And he said, why are you calling me? <laughs> I said, because I want to change. He goes, I don't care what you do. You can change your show every week as long as I don't get a report that says this isn't good. Do whatever you want. So I had tremendous freedom for 15 years. And he became more corporate and more corporate and more buckled down and more, oh, you got to do this every show. And it's like, well, then I'm, it's not fun anymore. Much to my wife's chagrin. <laughs> Sorry, honey, no more weekly paycheck. Right. So back to normal. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, do you, any other? I think we're good. I think, we got that was, I think that was gold. How much time have we? I have so much more. Don't. Well, okay, I'm kidding. 40, I'm at 43. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, awesome. No, that's great. Great. Because I'm on the drive up here. I'm going, I don't have anything to say. No, it's, yeah, that's what everybody <laughs> says. It was like, I should probably just not talk anymore, right? <laughs> you have enough? Thank you, Tisha. Yeah, thank you, man. You're useful to somebody. Oh, my God.